0: Hello wonderful people and welcome back to another episode of the What If Project podcast. My name is Glenn and this is episode number 62 and it's part number three of our series that we're doing called Setting the Bible Free. So episode one was a solo episode and it was called The Bible Has Been Hijacked and Let's Set It Free. And basically it was a I guess you could say an overview of what this series is going to be about, kind of what to expect uh, going forward. And then the second one, if you hear a weird noise in the background, uh, that is my cat scratching something in the other room. Uh, I think it's her litter box. I don't know, but she's weird and she makes noises and, uh, and now she's meowing. She is so weird and I don't edit things out of this thing, usually, unless there's like unless I tank something, uh, then I will edit it out, like if I make a big weird noise or sneeze or something like that, but a cat meow, we just let it go. So anyway, uh, episode one was a solo episode, just me, you, and the mic, uh, called The Bible Has Been Hijacked, Let's Set It Free, gave you a brief overview of what to expect. Uh, episode two, which was last week, was my conversation with Rabbi Nahum Ward Lev about his book uh, about the prophets and what it means to be a modern day prophet. And if you haven't listened to that one yet, go find it, go listen to it, uh, because it really, I don't know, it moved me deeply. And a lot of people reached out to me to say that they really learned a lot in that episode, and that it actually helped kind of put some words on some things for them that they had been feeling. In thinking, but didn't really know how to express. Uh, so go check it out. Uh, I think it will benefit you for sure. And then this is episode number three, the third episode uh, of the series. And uh, this one is just called very simply a sermon about Nicodemus. And I don't know if this is a sermon. Uh, I don't I don't know. I don't know. You know, I used to preach all the time. Uh, back when I was a pastor, I would preach every Sunday morning, you could find me same time, same place in the uh, in the pulpit. And when I left the the full time ministry, I was doing uh, kind of guest preaching in various places as well. So uh, I kind I, I love preaching, putting together sermons. And I call, I'm calling this one a sermon about Nicodemus because as I was putting together this episode and writing down some notes and doing my research, it felt like I was putting together a sermon. Things were clicking, synapses in my brain were firing, and I just had that feeling like I was getting ready to preach a good word um, in the pulpit. So uh, yes, that's why I'm calling this a sermon about Nicodemus. Uh, I think it's going to be helpful for you. It's been helpful for me uh, to kind of process through this and put it together. So I'm excited to share it with you. Uh, Before I do, though, three quick things. Uh, Number one, patreon.com slash whatifproject is a place where you can go to support uh, the podcast. So if this has encouraged you, inspired you, pushed you forward in your faith, uh, anything like that, uh, that is a place where you can go and you can give some some money to support the show. So anywhere from $3 a month all the way up to $30 a month. And then there's different tiers in between. And every tier, it's kind of cool, every tier has its own reward. So whether it's a, a blog post every week, uh, one of the tiers is a bonus podcast episode uh, once every other month. Another tier is called The Heretic of the the quarter club where I basically send you a book that has influenced me and my faith journey. I send that to you once a quarter. Uh, The next tier up is uh, where we talk about the heretics. So if you want to Zoom with me, if you don't live in North Carolina, uh, I will video chat with you. We could talk about the book after you read it. So all different things there, but every tier has some kind of reward. So go check it out, uh, patreon.com slash project Second thing, uh, the What If Project community is a closed Facebook group, and uh, I'm really enjoying this thing. Uh, It's kind of grown quicker than I thought it would. Uh, I kind of started it on a whim. I just thought, eh, other people do this. Maybe I'll give it a shot, too, and see what happens. And a few people joined in the beginning, and we had some interesting dialogue, but then people started to invite people. Other people started to find it, and now we're almost up to like 100 people, and Everybody in this thing is in a different place in their spiritual journey. And it's so beautiful to me because it really reminds me of what church is and what church is supposed to be like. Uh, Everybody's in a different place on their journey. Everybody has different thoughts about God and everybody's coming together and cheering each other on um, in their journey and in their walk, um, sharing ideas. And it's just such such a wonderful thing. There's like a different conversation going on every day. And you should go. If I mean, if you are if you find this podcast helpful, uh, you will find this group helpful as well. So go check it out. Uh, just search What If Project Community. Uh, the link will be in the show notes. Uh, do yourself a favor. Go and uh, join this thing. Uh, it's it's a game changer. I love it. A uh, third thing is uh, the Love Everybody t-shirt. So I, I designed some t-shirts once in a while. Um, I did the Uh, a few months ago the one that's on the front it says uh, love the sinner hate the sin but the only thing that's not crossed out is is love and so I called that like the LGBTQ inclusion shirt and then I did the uh, love wins hoodie was a couple weeks ago and that has um, love wins on the front and hate is crossed out with like rainbow colors and then this this time this what I have this time this T-shirt is the love everybody T-shirt. says so love everybody in the front. There's like a rainbow heart. Uh, it's pretty cool. Uh, go check it out. I'll put the link in the show notes as well. It's also gonna be all over Facebook the next couple days. Uh, so go check that out. If you think you'd like to get one, pick it up and uh, it will be printed and shipped in about a week from now. So anyway, those are my those are my brief announcements. My cat has silent up there she goes i was gonna say my cat has silenced herself but not quite yet so she will serenade us for a little while um as we go and it's late at night right now it's like what time is it it's it's 11 o'clock and so she usually starts chiming in right around this time to say her goodnights to the family Uh, so sure her meows kind of echo through the house her name is pixie by the way uh but anyway so this again episode 62 uh, part three of our series, a sermon about Nicodemus. So I, I've always been like really intrigued by the story of uh, Jesus's encounter with this Pharisee named Nicodemus. And if you have like any history in the church at all, you've probably heard the story or maybe at least heard of the story. Uh, but whatever the case may be, I want to start off today's episode with with a little Bible reading. Okay, so it's it's a bit of a lengthy passage, but uh, that's okay. This is the story of Nicodemus according to the Gospel of John. And I'm going to start off this episode by just simply reading you the whole story. Uh, from the King James Version, of course, because all other versions will burn in hell. <laughs> I'm just obviously kidding. Uh, this is, I'm going to read this from my NIV uh, study Bible. Uh, the beautiful black leather-bound one that I mentioned uh, in the first episode of this series that my mom bought me when I was in the 11th grade. So uh, I love that Bible, still use that Bible. It's my favorite Bible. So I'm going to read from there. And uh, as I read it, you know, relax. If, if you're driving, uh, obviously don't close your eyes. Uh, but if you're not driving and you're in a place where you can meditate for a moment, uh, just close your eyes and let these words from the Apostle John just kind of roll over your soul. Uh, see what See what the Spirit might speak to you um, as I read this to you. And I have, like I said, my real Bible in front of me. You can hear the the wonderful thin pages. And I'm going to try not to hit the microphone with my Bible. That would be bad. Uh, But anyway, John chapter 3, starting in verse 1. John says, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, and he was a member of the Jewish ruling class. He came to Jesus at night. And said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform miraculous signs that you are doing if God was not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. How can a man be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and do you not understand these things? I tell you the truth, we speak of what we know, and we testify to what we have seen. But still, people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man." Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the son of man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only son." This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of the light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. And that's the end of the story. Now, I've been mulling this over probably for about a month. And uh, I read it during my own quiet time or devotional time, you know, whatever you want to call it, uh, over the summer. And I've thought about it probably almost every day since. I was looking at my journal, and I've written about it a few times in my journal, just like random thoughts that have come to my head. And after thinking about it, I really think that in our churches, uh, Nicodemus typically gets like a really bad rap, you know? Uh, Like I've heard the story, I don't know, a bazillion times and the sermon or Bible study, you know, whatever that follows, is almost always about how we shouldn't be like Nicodemus. Why? Well, a few things. One, he asked Jesus, like, really stupid questions, right? Like, like born again? How can a man enter back into his mother's womb? Like, that doesn't make any sense, Jesus, right? Like, what, Nicodemus, are you drunk or something? Like, are you, like, even paying attention to what's going on, right? It's a stupid question. Two, uh, aside from the questions he remained silent, right, for most of the story. Like, I almost imagine him in that long section where Jesus is just, like, talking and talking. I imagine Nicodemus, like, standing there with his mouth hanging open and, like, drool coming down the side of his lip as he tried to, like, keep up with this mystical, crazy talk that's coming out of Jesus's mouth. And then, three, he comes to Jesus at night, right? Why? Well, isn't it obvious? Because he, he was a Pharisee, right? And he was probably too afraid to be seen by the other Pharisees who who hated Jesus. And he didn't want people whispering or rumors going around about him uh, becoming one of Jesus's crazy disciples. And so the message in these sermons, you know, these Bible studies, whatever, was always like, don't be like Nicodemus. And I can actually remember uh, in the church I used to pastor preaching a sermon about Nicodemus. I don't remember exactly what I titled it. But it was probably something along those lines, don't be like Nicodemus. And I almost, I remember the points that I made, I don't remember exactly the way that I worded them, uh, but pretty much I had three points, and they were all based around those three things I just told you. So one, first point was don't ask so many questions, just, just believe. And, and isn't that like the evangelical way, right? Faith isn't about asking questions. It's about believing. It's about plowing forward even when you don't understand. Just believe. Don't ask questions. Just nod, say yes, believe, and step forward in faith. Second point, something along the lines of uh, listen, yes, in prayer, but act and respond as well. Like Don't just stand there with your mouth hanging open and doing nothing, right? Because prayer or talking to God is a dialogue. So bring something with you to the table and then leave the table and go put something into action. Don't just stand there and say nothing and do nothing like Nicodemus did. And then three, don't be afraid of what other people think of your relationship with Jesus. Why? Because if you're ashamed of Jesus and your relationship with him, he'll be ashamed of you on Judgment Day in front of the Father. And I almost certainly would have had like, I don't know, like this army of Bible verses to, to back up my points, all leading back to this one you know, big idea of not being like Nicodemus because Nicodemus is clearly a man of little faith who doesn't seem to have at all what it takes uh, to leave it all behind and follow Jesus. I'm better than Nicodemus, uh, you're better than Nicodemus, so let's live like that's true. And in the midst of all this, right, like like poor Nicodemus, right. I mean, totally getting his his name and his story dragged through the mud uh, in sermons across America. At least the sermons that fifteen uh, year old ago Glenn Siepert, was preaching, fifteen years ago, that I was preaching from the pulpit of my church, right. Uh, poor Nicodemus. But as I'm reading this this time around and thinking about it, and processing it, and all that stuff, I think to myself, what if Nicodemus is on to something? You know, like, like, what if John included the story of Nicodemus in his gospel? Not so much because he wanted to give us this model of a human being that we should try not to be like, but because he wanted to give us the model of a human that we should all strive to be like. Maybe a human that mirrors our own journey. And so that's what I want to talk to you about today. Uh, I kind of want to turn the table of the story a little bit, maybe turn the diamond uh, of the story ever so slightly so the light hits this thing from a slightly different angle and maybe gives us a little bit of a different uh, perspective. And I I once preached, again, this sermon, you know, don't be like Nicodemus, but today I want to share with you maybe some thoughts uh, in this episode about some reasons why. Some reasons why Nicodemus... Maybe it's a fantastic role model for, for all of us. Uh, in her book, uh, "Holy Envy," if you haven't read that book, you need to go. You need to like hit pause on this thing and go to Amazon and, and get this book. Uh, it's written by Barbara Brown Taylor, and she asked this question. She says, "Is it possible that Nicodemus came to Jesus by night because he knew that it was because he knew that night was a better time to talk about things that matter?" Is it possible that Nicodemus came to Jesus by night because he knew that night was a better time to talk about things that matter? Interesting thought, right? And I don't really think it's that like radical or like bonkers of an idea because most of the time uh, my wife and I have like the deepest conversations, not during the day, not over the phone, not while Jordan is yelling for our attention at the dinner table, but at night, like like we'll be lying in bed, uh, both staring at the ceiling, and one of us will just say something. You know, maybe it's something that we heard on a podcast, uh, maybe something that I ran by her a few weeks earlier concerning this podcast, uh, maybe something about an idea or a doctrine we once held closely to. She went to Bible college as well, so maybe something that we learned in school. Uh, maybe it's about a relationship with a friend or something that has changed. In the wake of our deconstruction, maybe it's about a memory, maybe it's a dream about the future, maybe it's a worry, whatever it is, before you know it, it's like an hour later. And we just realized that we had one of the, the best conversations we've ever had. Sometimes it's just normal dialogue, sometimes there's laughing involved, sometimes there's tears involved, but late at night, you know, it's unexpected, it's dark. And after the conversation, we feel relaxed, we feel at ease. And somehow we're just able to drift off the sleep. And it's almost like the, the darkness of the room has this weird, strange ability, almost like a, a magnet to, to draw out of us uh, things that the light simply can't touch during the day. And so again, maybe Barbara has a point, right? Maybe Nicodemus came to Jesus at night, not so much because he was afraid of what other people would think. What are the, What are the other Pharisees going to think of me? but because he knew that the night and, and the darkness held some sort of magical and uh, almost mysterious ability to bring about uh, the best ideas, uh, to make one more receptive to, to big ideas, to strange ideas, to lofty thoughts and to heartfelt uh, dialogue. So, so, so maybe the darkness is like exactly what Nicodemus needed uh, at that point in his life. And as I'll mention in a little while, Maybe the darkness is exactly what you and I need as well in this season of our lives. And we'll get to that in a little while. But anyway, so, so Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night, and he starts off with a, with a compliment. And, and, and before, before we get there, uh, remember, Nicodemus was a Pharisee, right? He was a member of this group of religious leaders who uh, weren't exactly too pleased with Jesus, and we could probably say that Jesus wasn't really too pleased with them either. Now, it's important, though, to realize that all Pharisees were not like the Pharisees described in the Gospels. Uh, we tend to, like, mistakenly lump all Pharisees under the umbrella of those Pharisees and then declare them all to be heartless, cold, nasty, outcasting, mean jerks. But, but scholarship tells us that not all Pharisees were like the ones that Jesus called a, a bunch of vipers. And he did call them that, by the way, a bunch of, a bunch of snakes. Uh, Jesus saved his, uh, I would say, harshest words of judgment, not for the prostitutes and the tax collectors of the day, but for this very specific group of Pharisees and uh, church leadership that thrived on shaming, uh, outcasting, and pushing away those they deemed to be different, sinful, and uh, outside of God's of God's reach. And one time he called them a bunch of vipers, a bunch of snakes. Uh, another time he called them, I think it was like a bunch of whitewashed tombs that are nice on the outside, but is dead lumps of cold, heartless flesh on the inside. And uh, he was just, you know, he, he really pushed back on them and the way that they treated people. And I'm telling you all this because Nicodemus, like we said, uh, John said was a Pharisee. And since the gospels speak primarily of these kinds of Pharisees that didn't like Jesus, I'm assuming that it's from this group of Pharisees that Nicodemus emerged in the middle of the night. And so, like like I said, he starts off with this with this compliment, which I guess is, you know, always a, a fairly good way to impress someone who your group doesn't like and who doesn't really like your group that much. Either right, so so Jesus, he says, we know that you are a teacher. We know that you come from God, right? Like that's really smooth, uh, nice move, Nick. We right, we my group, uh, my Pharisee buddies, uh, us vipers, uh, us whitewashed tombs. Like we might have some shortcomings, and although we might be vicious snakes who are dead as dead can be on the inside, uh, we still get that you somehow, some way came from God. Like, you're a special guy. We get that. But before Nicodemus could get like another word out, uh, Jesus almost steps aside, lets that compliment just zip right by, and he randomly comes out of left field with the what I think is like the oddest of odd statements. It's almost like it has nothing to do with anything. He says, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. Right, so Nicodemus says, hey, Jesus, we know you come from God. Jesus is like, eh, well, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. Like, wait, what? Like, all I did was pay you a compliment. Jesus, are are you even, are you even paying attention to me right now? Like, what the heck does this have to do with anything? And I've often wondered, like, you know what? Like what is Jesus up to here? Like was he, you know, rolling his eyes at Nicodemus's compliment? Like, nice try with the compliment there, buddy, but if you want to get close to me, if you want to ever enter into heaven, then you need to be born again. And and what is that phrase doing there, right? Born again. Now I don't know about you, but that word carry that phrase carries a lot of baggage for me. Like a lifetime in Christian school, church, Sunday school, Bible college, seminary, pastoring churches taught me that that phrase means uh, to say the sinner's prayer, to be baptized, to ask Jesus into my heart, uh, to raise my hand, to say yes to Jesus at the end of the pastor's prayer, at the end of the service on, on Sundays. And, and so i got to ask, like when, when I read that, that phrase and these images come to my mind, I think to myself, like, is that what Jesus was telling Nicodemus to do? Like when he told Nicodemus that in order to see the kingdom of God, he had to be born again. Uh, did he want Nicodemus to say the sinner's prayer? You know, like did he want Nicodemus to get on his knees, like right then and there, and say, "Dear Jesus, you know, I'm sorry for all that I've done wrong. Please forgive me. Come into my heart, Jesus. Wipe away my sins." Like, is that what Jesus was was looking for? Because a lot of the things I've learned about the phrase "born again," like that's what it means. Or was Jesus maybe telling Nicodemus some? Uh, mysterious, maybe mystical, mind blowing idea that wouldn't make much sense in the daytime when he was surrounded by all of his other, you know, super smart and studious Pharisee friends who thought they knew everything, and uh, also being surrounded by all of his books and his scrolls and his wisdom and his knowledge and his education. But maybe something that would only make sense away from all of that away from the hustle and the bustle of his normal day, where all he could hear was the still, small voice of Jesus and the sound of the night all around him. Like, was Jesus maybe getting at something deeper with that phrase born again than what you and I maybe have typically been taught that it means? Because remember, Nicodemus came to talk to Jesus at night. And he started off with this, with the compliment, right? Complimenting him that he was from God. Like, we know who you are, Jesus. We, we know that you've been sent by God. We know that you're from God. To which Jesus responded, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. In other words, you think you know me, Nicodemus. And you think you know God, but you, you don't. The only way you're really going to see God and his kingdom, which, as Jesus said elsewhere, is all around you, is if you're born again. Again. Now, the word born uh, reminds me of my daughter Jordan. When she was born, she was literally, I know that sounds terrible, but she was like literally a blob, right? I mean, she was the cutest, most adorable blob you've ever seen, but she was a blob. She slept all the time, she pooped all the time, Uh, she threw up occasionally. And she deprived me and my wife of sleep for the first year of her life. Like, she couldn't move to the other side of the room by herself. She couldn't feed herself. Uh, She couldn't do anything, really. She was 1,000% reliant on mommy and daddy. And, And so maybe, maybe, when Jesus told Nicodemus to be born again, maybe this is what he meant. Like, maybe being born again wasn't about saying a special prayer like your typical evangelical church will tell you, but maybe what Jesus wanted Nicodemus to do was to toss aside everything he thought he knew about God, all of his traditions, his knowledge, his scholarship, his answers, and become fully reliant on the one who stood before him, the one who Nicodemus said was sent from God. And this is kind of what I imagine going on with Nicodemus. Like, I imagine Nicodemus standing there like a blob, maybe with, like, a bewildered look on his face, uh, completely cut off from any certainty he might have had just a verse or two before. Because the next thing that Nicodemus says is, like, wait a minute. How can a man be born when he is old? Because surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Like, could you imagine the look on this dude's face? He is totally lost totally confused. Like, what on earth are you talking about, Jesus? And Jesus quickly responded and told him that being born again didn't mean entering back into his mother's womb, but being born of the Spirit. And so then Nicodemus, still confused, responded and said, how how can this be? And then Jesus asked him, how can you be Israel's teacher and not know these things? And then Jesus goes into a, like a half page monologue about God's love, eternal life, condemnation, whole bunch of other stuff. And that, very interestingly, is the last we hear of Nicodemus until much later in Jesus' story. Right? Nicodemus' last words in this part of the story are How can this be? And I don't know about you, but I find that to be really interesting. Because catch the check this out. He came into the story, remember in verses one and two with a fairly loud and pretty certain compliment or declaration, whatever you want to call it, of who Jesus is. We know you are sent from God. We know, right, you are sent from God. But he exits the story on the tail end of a question. How, how can this be? And, and so maybe, right here, in the midst of these few verses, I wonder, maybe Nicodemus, according to our previous definition, was born again. I mean, if being born again means to almost revert back to a childlike place where we become fully dependent, not on our traditions, not on our answers, not on our confidence, our pride, not on our our sense of certainty about who God is, but to come to Christ empty of all of those things so that the Spirit can share with us new perspective and new insights, well, then maybe we saw Nicodemus become born again right before our eyes. Right? Like, isn't that possible? Because he rode in confidently with this declaration about Jesus, but he was literally blown out of the story by this exhaling monologue of Jesus, leaving him quite confused about whether he knew very much at all. He came into the story strong and mighty, standing on top of this on the solid foundation of all of these traditions and experience and you know knowledge of the Pharisees, thinking he knew exactly who Jesus was, exactly who God was. But he left empty of all of those things, and was carried off the page by this sea of questions, and doubts, with this bewildered look on his face. And so was he. I wonder somehow, maybe, born again, in the midst of that deep sea of questions and, and doubts. Whatever the case may be, I imagine, imagine that the Spirit went with him as he left, right? L- like I imagine that as he left in this state of confusion, most likely talking to himself, right? And, and maybe even questioning everything he had ever been taught. Like Jesus just totally blew my mind. I imagine that the Spirit that gave birth to him in the midst of that conversation with Jesus walked with him. Talked with him. And as the poet in, in Genesis says, maybe hovered over the deep chaos of his lingering questions and doubts about what he heard from Jesus late that night. And I also imagine that as he went back to his Pharisee friends and quietly began to process what he had heard and what he learned, I imagine that he slowly but surely began to change, to grow, to evolve, to spread his wings, to, to burst from his cocoon. And I imagine that as he began to change, that the other Pharisees and his friends and family maybe began to notice that change too. And I imagine that because later on in the book of John, we see Nicodemus show up again, which a lot of people miss. But this isn't the only time Nicodemus is mentioned. He shows up again later in the book. But this time we see him standing apart from the group of Pharisees that he was once closely associated with. And I want to read this part of the story for you. All right, real quick. It comes in John chapter 7, so we're talking just four chapters later. and it starts in verse 45 and it says, finally the temple guards went back to the chief priests and the Pharisees who asked them, why didn't you bring Jesus in? No one no one ever spoke the way this man does, the guards declared. You mean he has deceived you also, the Pharisees retorted? Has any of the rulers or the Pharisees believed in this man? No, but this mob that knows nothing of the law, there is a curse on them. Now Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus earlier, and who was one of their own number, asked, Does our law condemn anyone without first hearing him to find out what he is doing? The other Pharisee replied, Are you from Galilee too? Look into it, Nicodemus, and you will find that a prophet does not come out of Galilee. Isn't it interesting? All of a sudden, Nicodemus is using his voice again, right? In chapter 3, he was fairly silent and left the scene with a question, How can this be? And in chapter 7, he comes back onto the scene and this time uses his words to defend the character of the one he met in the night just a few chapters earlier. And his Pharisee friends, they're clearly unimpressed. right? They don't want to have anything to do with whatever Nicodemus is saying. But then it gets even more interesting, because in chapter 19, much later in the book, after Jesus has been crucified, we see a guy named Joseph uh, from a place called Arimathea put Jesus' body in a tomb. And John tells us that Nicodemus shows up again. John says this, he says, Nicodemus also, who earlier had come by Jesus at night, came to the tomb bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes to anoint Jesus' body. Isn't Isn't that beautiful? I mean, heck, if this is not a picture of what it means to be born again, I don't know what is. Like, it's not a magical prayer that gets you into heaven. It's not a set of theological beliefs that gets you out of hell. It's not a strict allegiance to a bunch of rules or commands. It's an an encounter with the Christ that leads to confusion and emptiness and ultimately new life and new perspective. Like, this dude comes in hot in chapter 3, right? With this loaded declaration about who Jesus is. His certainty, though, is met with all of this ambiguity from Jesus. And Nicodemus rides out of the story in this mess of confusion. Three chapters later, though, he comes back into the story, but this time to defend uh, Jesus' character against the attacks of his Pharisee friends. And then before the end of the book, we see him again uh, to be one of the last people to touch the dead body of his teacher and his friend man, that's, that is so good, right? And, and I don't know about you, but I see a lot of myself in Nicodemus these days. Like I was once so sure of who Jesus was, so sure of who God was, so absolutely certain of what it meant to be born again and enter into God's kingdom. But then I had this experience with Jesus this experience with Christ. And I don't know, like everything changed for me. And I mentioned this experience very briefly uh, back in the episode with, with Brad Jurczak. You can go back and listen to that, but uh, I'll share a few more details here. Uh, the experience with, with Christ that I'm referring to came from me um, in the very first year of the doctoral program I was in at Alliance Theological Seminary. And I was in this class called Soul Care, where we uh, basically had to process through uh, the story of our life and try to pinpoint, I would say, the areas that are like our our deepest pains, the areas that caused us significant trauma, uh, areas that we left unattended, undealt with, areas that for whatever reason we never properly grieved or worked our way through. And then towards the end of the class, after we uh, learned about the importance of caring for our souls as leaders, our professor divided us into groups and took us through a session of what's called inner healing. Now, this could literally be like a whole series of episodes in itself, but real quick, inner healing is when, like through a time of prayer, you ask God, you ask Jesus, you ask Christ to come and to show you where he was or what he was doing uh, during the moment in your life when you received your deepest pain or your deepest wound. Like maybe... God forbid, maybe you were beaten as a child. Maybe you watched someone at a young age that you love um, die. Maybe your parents were divorced. Whatever your pain is, you take it to God in prayer and you ask him, please show me where you were, what you were doing when I received this wound. And then once I see that, will you come to me? Will you show me what you were doing? Will you heal this memory for me? Show me that I was not alone. Well, I'm not going to get into like all the details here, but what I will say is that I had this Nicodemus moment with Christ. Like my professor prayed for me and he spoke some words to me that just really hit home for me. And I like absolutely lost it. Like I came unhinged. I cried, no joke, uncontrollably, harder than I have ever cried before for a good 30 minutes in my professor's arms as i wept and i wept and i wept over some things that i had i'd never grieved before and for the first time in my life i saw that in those times of pain in those times of anguish that i was i was i was never alone my creator the spirit the christ jesus the divine whatever you want to call him was there with me And I very vividly saw him holding me, carrying me, walking with me, never, ever once letting me go. And I remember leaving that class feeling a lot lighter, but driving home feeling very confused and very disoriented. Kind of like I imagine Nicodemus feeling when he left John chapter 3. Like, who is this Jesus I just met? Because all of a sudden, the God who once fit into my nice, neat, tidy theological box that had a nice red ribbon tied on the top, he didn't seem to fit in there anymore. Because like this Jesus, this Jesus I met in that time of inner healing, he didn't really seem to be too on board with the idea of people being separated in hell uh, from him forever. Like the Jesus I met didn't really seem like he was going to be one to give up on somebody just because they did fail to believe the right things about him during their time on earth. Like this Jesus that I met didn't really seem to be the kind of guy that was going to outcast an LGBTQ person because they're gay. Uh, This Jesus I met didn't really seem like he was too good at representing a God who was fuming mad over my sin and the sin of the world. This Jesus that held me so tightly didn't seem to be too interested in raising up an army of people who believe in him to march into the world and get everybody else to believe the same things. This Jesus was different than anything I had ever learned about or heard about. Like This Jesus was light years away from any of those things. Uh, This Jesus that I met in that experience was interested in one thing and one thing only. Loving me right where I was at and showing me that I was never, ever alone. I was never, ever in a place in my life where I was apart from Him. Even before I knew Him, even before I knew about Him as a child, while I was experiencing deep trauma and pain, He was there with me just as much as he's here with me today as I sit in front of this microphone. At the time of my class, uh, that I was in this class, I was already maybe a good five years into a very internal deconstruction of of sorts. Like I'd been thinking about all the stuff that we talk about on the What If Project for for a while, but I hadn't really been very vocal about it. I kept it to myself because I didn't know where to bring it I didn't know who was a safe place where I could talk about this stuff. And so I left that class and I continued to internally process these things. But then slowly but surely, I started to kind of speak up about a few things. First on my old blog, uh, then on Facebook, then soon on this podcast. And the more vocal I got about the Jesus I encountered, uh, the more my old, I would say my old tribe of Pharisees, so to speak, started to look at me. Like, I was insane, right? Some have called me names. Some have turned their back on me. Some laugh at me, mock me. Some have just ghosted me altogether, written me off. And it's been hurtful. Um, it's been painful. But if I follow the story of Nicodemus, I have to imagine and believe that this is all part of the process of being born again because it happened to him, right? It's about first being confident. All of, all of our traditions, our beliefs, our faith, it's about... Um, being confident of we know who God is and we know who Christ is. And then it's about having a rich but yet confusing, confusing encounter with Christ. It's about the painful emptying of what, what we've always known to be. It's about a time of silence and confusion and, and darkness where you process and you deconstruct and you reconstruct things. It's about becoming vocal once again and using your voice to represent the Christ who you encountered back in the night. And then it's about walking ever so closely with Christ, following him even into his tomb, where Nicodemus anointed his body, where we are invited to to lay down some of our old beliefs and traditions and pains so that the Spirit can raise them up again and breathe new life into them, just as he did for Christ. Now, now, listen. I, I don't know where you're at in your faith today, but 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 if you're listening to this podcast, then I and you're, you've made it this far through this episode. I've got to imagine that you are probably feeling at least a little bit like Nicodemus, like you're asking questions, you're wrestling with your uncertainty, uh, the faith that you know once felt so strong and secure and mighty now feels kind of like a blob. Uh, people think you're crazy. You think you're crazy, uh, like Nicodemus. Maybe you're searching for Christ in the dark. You know, maybe the answers and the traditions and the doctrines and the theologies that you've received throughout all of your life maybe they just don't make sense in light of this complicated world in which you live, and in light of the in light of the experiences that you've had. And so maybe, maybe like we said earlier, maybe some darkness is just what you need, just as it's what Nicodemus needed. And maybe that darkness for you is just this dark cloud of uncertainty. Maybe it's that feeling of, of dread that your strong foundation of faith with all of your answers and certainty and doctrines and systematic theologies isn't quite as strong and secure as you thought that it was. And maybe you're learning some things from an experience with Christ that, that aren't the things that you learned growing up. Like, like maybe your interactions with him are causing you to rethink some things, like, like I did. Maybe they're causing you to rethink the Bible, how it's meant to be used and read and, 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 talked, and talked about. Maybe it's pushing you to question the traditional understanding of, of hell. Maybe it's causing you to be more inclusive of LGBTQ people. Maybe it's causing you to rethink and, and, and reconsider why Jesus died and what the cross was all about. Maybe it's pushing you out of church. Maybe it's causing you to take some time away from church. And maybe you find yourself being really quiet these days as you walk off the page of John chapter 3 with Nicodemus and you process all of these things in your head. Or maybe you're past that quiet stage. Maybe you're later on in the journey with Nicodemus and maybe you find yourself wanting to speak up, speak out and start using your voice to speak of this new understanding of Christ that you have even though you don't yet fully understand it. And maybe maybe as you do that, maybe you find that your friends, your family, your former tribe of, of Pharisees, maybe they aren't very understanding. Maybe they're not very accepting of these things that you learned about in the dark. Or maybe you're a little bit further down the road. Maybe you find yourself with Christ in the tomb. And maybe as you stand with him in his tomb, maybe he's holding you. As you put to rest some of the old doctrines and theologies and understandings of God that you used to have. Like maybe you're wrapping up hell and the idea that somebody could be separated from God forever. Maybe you no longer believe that. Maybe you're rolling the stone in front of the tomb and you're leaving that behind. Maybe it's LGBTQ exclusion. Maybe it's an angry God who's full of wrath. Or maybe you're wrapping up all the hurt and the pain that stems from your former tribe of Pharisees turning their back on you, shaming you, ghosting you. Maybe you're wrapping up all of those things in the white linen of Jesus's um, that Jesus' body was wrapped in. And maybe you're ready to put all of those things to rest once and for all. Maybe you're ready to roll the stone in front of the tomb and let those things go. My prayer for you is may you do that today, Nicodemus. May this podcast, uh, this sermon, this message, this homily, whatever it is you want to call this thing, may it be the divine push that you need to let those things go. To be emptied of yourself and everything that you think you know so that you can be filled up afresh. And as you do that, may you know that the same spirit, the same spirit that hovered over the waters of Nicodemus's chaos as he walked off the scene in chapter 3, all confused and bewildered, the same spirit that empowered Nicodemus to speak up and speak out for Jesus amidst his other Pharisee friends who had nothing but ridicule and shame for his new ideas, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead after Nicodemus anointed his body and they rolled the stone in front of the tomb, know that that same spirit is the same spirit that lives inside of you today. The same spirit that has met you in the darkness. The same spirit that will empower you to speak the new things that you believe amidst your dissatisfied old tribe, family, and friends. The same spirit that will breathe new life into all of those things that you're wrapping up and putting to rest in the tomb. Keep moving forward, my friends, because this, this is the process, sometimes the very long and very painful process of being born again. I hope my prayer for you is that this gives you some fresh perspective on your journey, uh, on your faith, and that you leave here today knowing that it's okay wherever you are in the journey. Chapter 3, chapter 5, chapter 19, whatever. Wherever you are with Nicodemus on your journey, it's okay. Much love to you, and I'll see you next time. Bye-bye.